0: Well, thanks so much for joining us on our weekly sermon podcast. We pray that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see that God is moving in your life. Thanks so much for joining us again. God bless. Lord, we thank you for that truth uh, that nothing Can pluck us out of your hands. Lord, we find our security in you. We find our belonging in you. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck us from your hand, God. And we stand on that firm truth because your grip on us is so strong. And God, as you hold us, Lord, help us to learn not to try to wiggle our way out. Lord, may we just be so content in your grip because it is a loving grip. It is a gracious grip. It is a compassionate grip. Lord, we thank you for the love that you have so freely poured out upon us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, Couple other announcements. Um, Anybody like Applebee's, the food? yeah one person okay, Gloria. We'll see you there okay uh no, uh we just wanted to throw out an invite it'll be a pay pay your own way, uh but some of us are heading over to applebee's after service, and uh more than welcome to join us so uh is that a plug for applebee's? I'm not sure, but uh, anyways, they have indoor dining, so if you have uh, yeah seriously, if you've uh missed eating inside, uh come join us after service, and then uh There was another one. Nope, that was it. You already took them all. So, awesome. Uh, Easter is next weekend. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Decaf crowd today. That's all right. Uh, Anyways, uh, we are going to be uh, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. I, I mean, it doesn't just happen on Easter. It happens every day. I mean, that's the crux of our belief, if you will, uh, the resurrection. And we, we are celebrating that. Every day is a celebration of that because Jesus is alive. We have hope. Amen? Amen. And so uh, a couple of things we'll be doing uh, on Easter. All the kids that come uh, will be getting a little goodie bag, if you will. And then we're going to do a candy drop. Uh, nothing fancy about this. A couple of us are going to go outside on the grass and we're going to Rip open some candy bags, and we'll put a timer on, and how whatever candy you can get, man, that that's great. So, just something a, a little fun. But ultimately, my 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 desire is to keep it simple, uh, because I feel like when we add to it, we 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 don't do it justice. If anything, we add to it, and the gospel gets crowded out. Easter is not about the bunny. It's not about the candy. It's not about any of that stuff. Um, Cliff was on the verge of making a bunny sound effect back there. But um, anyways, so uh, we'll have Good Friday and uh, Easter service next weekend. And then uh, the following weekend, um, we're going to wrap up our uh, Hot Topics series with a message on the woke church. Uh, If you're familiar with uh, the church culture, if you will, there's a lot of churches, honestly, that are uh, succumbing to the tides of the culture. They're trying to keep up with the culture rather than staying faithful to preaching the gospel. And so uh, we just want to do uh, really a comparison of, of the woke church versus the church that Jesus has called us to be. And uh, so I hope you can make plans to join us for next weekend and the weekend after, and then the weekend after that, after the woke church, uh, where after that message you'll all be uh, awake did you see what I did there? Uh, That that was uh, like, never mind. We'll be finishing the Gospel of John, uh, not all in one Sunday, of course. We'll be finishing the Gospel of John uh, at a little bit faster pace because I feel like God is laying some other things on, on my heart. And then uh, lastly, for those of you that are watching online, we've been having some Wi-Fi issues. So uh, we apologize for that. Um, I I think YouTube is a better option today than Facebook. So uh, jump on over to YouTube. The link is in the Facebook comments. You can click on that and I'll take you right there. Um, But, uh, Matthew chapter 21 uh, verses 1 through 11 if you wouldn't uh, mind turning there and then standing and we'll read the word of God together we'll pray and then we'll dig in Uh, Matthew chapter 21 uh, verses 1 through 11 today is Palm Sunday Uh, something to celebrate for sure Jesus's triumph triumphant entry into Jerusalem so uh Chapter 21, Matthew, uh, verses 1 through 11. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage to the Mount of Olives, uh, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them and he will send them at once this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying say to the daughter of zion behold your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt the fowl of a beast of burden the disciples went and did as jesus had directed them And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word, God, and we hold your word high. Lord, we don't have authority over your word. Your word has authority over us. Lord, if we've tried to Take scripture out of context just to make it uh, say what we want it to say, Lord, I pray that you would forgive us. God, you are straightforward when it comes to how we are to approach your word. We're not to take anything uh, away from it and we're not to add anything to it. What you have written, you have written. And Lord, we cherish your word, that it is sweet, (laughs) sweeter than the honeycomb. And Lord, we ask that as we talk about your triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Jesus, our hearts would be challenged, they would be changed, our minds would be renewed, and we would have this enthusiasm and passion and excitement to follow you, to lay everything down at your feet, to surrender all of who we are before you, because you are worthy of everything we are. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for what you've done for us on that cross and for rising again from the the dead. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can take a seat. Repeat after me, God is good. Jesus is real. His word is alive. Amen, amen. Amen, amen, we'll keep going. So I heard the story of a son who had just got his driver's license And so one day, he went up to his dad and he says, Dad, uh, now that I have my driver's license, can you get me a car? (laughs) And uh, it's that easy, right? Um, And so he says, sure, but I have three conditions for you. Uh, First, you have to bring your grades up from a C to an A. You have to read your Bible every day. And you have to cut your hair. It's just too long. You need to cut your hair. And so the son said, okay, dad, I'll I'll do it. And after eight weeks, he comes back to his dad and he says, dad, my grades are up. I've been reading the Bible every day. Can I get my car? And he goes, no. And the son goes, well, why? He says, because your hair. You didn't cut your hair. Your hair is still so long. And he says, but dad, I've been reading my Bible every day and I look at people like Samson and Moses and even Jesus. They all had what seems like long hair. And he says, and dad, I just really want to follow Jesus. And he says, okay, but remember this, if you really want to follow Jesus, Jesus walked everywhere. (laughs) So did he get the car? Nope. (laughs) Jesus indeed walked everywhere, except for this particular occasion, where he comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey or a colt. All four gospels record this event, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John all were eyewitnesses to Jesus's entry into Jerusalem. The Old Testament prophet Zechariah even prophesied about this event as well. Uh, and this would ultimately be the final week of Jesus's life on earth. And in the final week of Jesus' life, religion of man was incredibly evident. Uh, but what was even more evident was Jesus' desire to bridge the gap between humanity and God the Father. That's why Jesus was sent, so he could, he could pay for what we couldn't pay, on, pay for on our own. He wanted all humanity to be right in their relationship with God the Father. And so we pick up in verses one through three in Matthew. Uh, the timeframe is during Passover, uh, which there would have been, Two million people gathered to celebrate the Passover, to commemorate the angel of the Lord passing over the doors who had the blood of the lamb marked on their door for uh, the celebration of the Israelites' uh, freedom from Egyptian slavery. Uh, That's what Passover was. And so as these two million people are coming in, uh, Jesus is riding on a donkey. The setting is Jerusalem, which is the capital of Israel, where Jesus would die and resurrect, but not only would it be a place where the devil would be defeated, amen, it, would, it will, key words, it will be the place where Jesus places his foot to establish his second coming. Zechariah 14 4 it says on that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem and the Mount of of Olives will split apart making a wide valley running from east to west half the mountain will move toward the north and half toward the south the second coming of Christ is much different than the rapture I think we get the two confused at times see the second coming of Christ is his physical return from heaven The rapture is when he calls his bride home. Uh, He does not step foot on the earth at the rapture. He just basically does one of those dinner call whistles through an angel and he says, come on, bride, it's time to go. But this return from heaven will be personal. It will be visible and it will be glorious. Jesus is coming back to establish his kingdom on earth. That is the second coming. And when he establishes his kingdom on earth, Christ will reign with firmness and equity. His kingdom will be marked by material and spiritual blessings since the curse upon the earth will finally be removed, which mind you, no president in times past, present, or future can do. Only Jesus can do that. I don't care what type of sales pitch he has. Jesus is the only one who can take away the curse upon the earth so what about this triumphant entry okay so Jesus is looking at his disciples and he says okay guys I want you to go into town and, I, and when you get into town there's going to be a donkey and a colt uh, in this case a colt would be a young uh, donkey the the offspring of the uh, the mother donkey it just sounds weird to say donkey for some reason uh, but the donkey would be four years, uh, under four years of age who had never been ridden on before. And Jesus is saying, when you get into town, this will be waiting for you, this colt and the donkey. And if anyone asks what you're doing, because you'll probably have these people asking why you're taking these donkeys, your answer to them is the Lord has, has need of them. And as you tell this to them, they'll give you the donkey and the colt and you're to bring it back. And in verse four through five, it says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the fowl of a beast of burden. So even before this actual event, it was prophesied in the Old Testament. Zechariah is saying, this Messiah is going to come back on a donkey, I mean, we're in the book of Jonah on Friday nights, and we've been talking about sheep occasionally, and we've been, uh, this next chapter in Jonah, we're talking about a worm. I mean, God uses animals. Let's just get that straight. Uh, no sound effects. Uh but Zechariah is saying, and, and this is what he says as he writes it in Zechariah 9, nine. It says, rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout and triumph, O people of Jerusalem. He's saying, let's get excited. Jesus is coming. Jesus is going to come and he is going to make a statement. He's saying, look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. Yet he is humble. Riding on a donkey. Riding on a donkey's colt. See, the Messiah King uh, was coming, and he would come in such a lowly fashion, not because of the animal he rides. Jesus could have picked any animal. He could have picked a fish to ride on into <laughs> to Jerusalem, but he chose a donkey. Now, in your mind, you're probably thinking Shrek. You're thinking that donkey, and I'm sure Jesus could have ridden on that one too, but this donkey uh, was a sign of humility. Humility. Because in a Jew's mind, horses were not uh, fit for a king necessarily. It was not necessarily a good thing when a king would ride into town on a horse because it symbolized that this king was ready to make war. But Jesus comes on a donkey, and this donkey, nobody's really afraid of a donkey unless you've been kicked by one. Uh, This donkey symbolizes peace. And we'll get into that in a moment. But commentator Clark says this in regards to the donkey. He says, God had commanded the kings of Israel not to multiply horses. The kings who broke this command were miserable themselves and scourgers to their people. Jesus came to fulfill the law. Had he in his title of king rode upon a horse, it would have been a break of positive command of God. Therefore, he rode upon a donkey. Now listen, Jesus is humble, not because he tries to be. Jesus is humble because that's his nature to be. He is a humble king. Jesus doesn't have to try to be humble. He is humble. That is is his definition. Uh, But humility means a couple things. First of all, it doesn't mean you let people walk all over you. Uh, It doesn't mean you allow people to trample all over you and do whatever they want. Humility uh, is... Is a mixture of both, if you will. Uh, backing up to what Jesus uh, was riding on, obviously this donkey represented a, a humble stance, a peaceful stance. Uh, but right before that, Jesus wept for Jerusalem because he knew the inevitable judgment would take place. Uh, so Jesus is not coming in proud or arrogant or, or, or haughty. He's coming in humbly. See, humility, and we see this in Jesus, humility means you are low enough to lift other people up. Humility means that you're not focused on yourself. It is not all about me. It is not all about how I can get to the top. Humility is saying, how can I get others to the top? How do I make others look good? It's not all about you. Humility means you're low enough to lift people up, but yet it also means that you have a backbone to humbly tell people no. Can we all just try that? No. I'm serious, some of us have uh, the yes syndrome. All we do is say yes, 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 and we wonder why we're so busy. It's because we say yes too much. Uh, I mean, yes is okay, but, but just practice that. When you go home today, look in the mirror, And tell yourself no. I'm serious, try it. It's like liberating. Like if you can tell yourself no, just imagine how many other people you can tell (laughs) no. Now don't be a jerk about it, but be kind, be gentle, be humble, but it's okay to say no. See, Jesus lifted people up. He lifted the sick, the lame, the leper, the outcast of society, and he still does that today. It's not just a thing uh, of the past. Jesus still lifts people up. The Bible says that those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who are humbled will be exalted. And Jesus exalts those who have a humble stance. You you see, Jesus had a backbone. Do you realize that? Because shortly after this, coming into Jerusalem, he goes into a temple, cracks out a whip, and starts whipping the temple of its table. I mean, Jesus took a stance. He had a backbone, and some of us need one too. We need to see that it's okay to have a humble backbone in life. Yes, Jesus is meek and mild, and yes, he's the one that, you know, breaks the lamb of the leg, and, or the leg of the lamb, lamb of the leg. Uh, you get it. And he puts it around his neck, and he stands there like this, you know, and he, it's all the fame, but he's also firm. And he is also fierce. I for one do not want to serve a wimpy God. And I know my God is not not wimpy at all. Verse six through eight, it says, the disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and colt and put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. And most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. Now, You remember the instructions that Jesus gave to the disciples was to go into town and you'll find a donkey and her colt? There was no mention of when you find that donkey and when you find that colt to put your cloaks on it, to lay your cloaks on there so I can be more comfortable. Jesus didn't mention that. Yet the disciples loved Jesus. They loved him so much that they wanted to do that which signified this one thing. I will give up what I have for the sake of Jesus. See, the act of spreading out the garment uh, was a sign of recognition, loyalty, and a promise of support. And by the disciples doing, the disciples doing this and the crowds doing this also, uh, they were ultimately saying, Jesus, we're following you. Our loyalty is to you. So let me ask you a question this morning. What can you lay down for the Lord? What can you lay down that would say, Jesus, I'm yours. I'm loyal to you. See, at at this point, I really don't believe uh, that the disciples really got it when Jesus said, I'm gonna go to the cross, I'm gonna die, but then I'm gonna rise again. You see him telling his disciples that so many different times. And the disciples are there scratching their head like, what, what? You're gonna die and then you're gonna... You're going to rise again. This doesn't make sense. This makes no sense at all. If we see Jesus, like I mentioned, telling his disciples that this was going to happen. But I really believe in this moment as Jesus is saying, you're going to, uh, you're going to go into town and and get the donkey and the colt. I, I really believe that they thought that this was the moment that Jesus was going to set up his earthly kingdom. I believe that this triumphant entry was to say, hey, enough of this. I am here to set up my kingdom today. And if I were the disciples and I were to see this event trans, uh, transpire, I would wonder the same thing. I wonder, is, is he gonna do it today? Uh, he's writing into a group of two million people. You don't just do that for the sake of doing that. But Jesus, we see, was making a statement. And the disciples were willing to put God's will above their own. When they went into town and when they put their cloaks on the donkey, they were saying, listen, it's not about my will anymore. It is all about God's will, all about what Jesus is calling us to do. Verse 9 through 11 I'm glad, glad none of you know. Uh, it means save now, save now. Uh, when I was in Bible college, I had the opportunity to take the Greek and Hebrew class, uh, but I didn't. Uh, I wish I would have because when you get into the Greek and Hebrew language and you look at what these words actually mean, it takes on a whole new meaning. Uh, see, most of us think, Uh, This word, Hosanna, because it is in the New Testament, uh, we automatically think that it's Greek. It's all Greek to me, right? Uh, No matter if it's Hebrew or Greek, sometimes it's just confusing. It's fuzzy. But it's not. Now, I know you came exactly for this Greek and Hebrew lesson. I'm so glad you did. Uh, But it's not Greek, uh, see, we get our English word, Hosanna, from the Greek word, yet the Greek word comes from a Hebrew word. Ready for this? In Hebrew, it's, <laughs> it's Hoshiana. Hoshiana. Hebrew. It is found in one place in the Old Testament, Psalm 118, verse 25. Now, this is the English translation. It says, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. See, we sing the song Hosanna, but yet we often don't reflect on how we got to Hosanna. See, Hosanna in Hebrew is literally a plea for help. It is almost as if someone is drowning and they're yelling, Hosanna, 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 save me. Can you all say Hosanna? Hosanna. Now say it in Hebrew. (laughs) But see, when we cry out Hosanna, uh, we're saying, Lord, save me in Hebrew. But see, the Jews, when the New Testament came along, they stopped referring to this word as a word for help. What they did is they started shouting, Hosanna, but Hosanna took on the meaning of no longer I need help, but I have been helped. I am saved. And so when we shout Hosanna, when we sing this song, it's not not this plea for help, but it's this, God, you have helped me. You have brought me to this point where I, I can only look to you because you are the only source of my help. It went from being a cry of help to a shout of praise. Hosanna means I am saved. It is the bubbling over of a heart that sees hope and joy and salvation on the way and can't keep it in. Do you recognize what Jesus has done for you? If you are a believer this morning, you are not bound for hell. You are bound for heaven. Your sins have been forgiven. You have eternity to look forward to. And this is why we cry out, Hosanna, because you are saved. Jesus has done the work for you. So when you sing Hosanna, you're singing, I am saved. Jesus has saved me. So Lord, receive my highest praise. Now we're not closing, okay? That, they're not up here because we're closing. But with that meaning, knowing what Hosanna means, knowing what your life was like before you knew Jesus to where it is now, Man, this song that we sing should bubble over because of what Jesus has done for you, this Hosanna should not just be a whisper. It should, it should be a shout because God was kind enough to save a knucklehead like you from hell. And so we're gonna sing this and if you wanna stand to your feet or if you just wanna shout it out from your seat or or whatever. Remember, Hosanna means that you're saved. Jesus has done the work. That's good news for us this morning. So let's sing the chorus together. Hosanna Hosanna You are the God who saves us Worthy of all our praise Hosanna of Marcus, we welcome you here, Lord Jesus, Hosea. Aren't you glad you're saved yeah Hosanna Hosanna in the highest only God could do that work in us and it was a hard work because you know yourself <laughs> you know what it took ultimately it took Jesus to die on the cross for your sins but they don't stop there they keep shouting they keep shouting Hosanna uh, son of David Uh, See, the son of David, in his humanity, Jesus would come from this lineage, right? In his humanity, he would be from the family tree of David, so to speak. But in his divinity, he is the son of God. So, question I want to answer this morning is, what's the difference between religion and relationship? Point number one, religion says... Uh, You can save yourself by doing works. But relationship with Jesus says that the work has already been done. See, the only person that can revive a heart is Jesus Christ. The only thing religion will do is make you feel empty and void. It'll make you feel like there's something more out there. But listen, I can reassure you of this, that Jesus is all you need Jesus is enough. Everything you need is found in Jesus. So stop looking all over the place. Stop going online. Stop looking at the store. Stop scrolling through Facebook and Instagram thinking that you're going to get a satisfaction from doing any of those things. Only Jesus can provide that lasting, eternal satisfaction. He is the one who can save a soul, not religion, Religion cannot save, only Jesus can save, which is the only way you and I can cry out Hosanna. We don't cry out Hosanna because religion saves, we cry out Hosanna because Jesus saves, amen? Amen. The only way you can be saved is because of Jesus. He saves you from your sins, he saves you from hell, he saves you from death. See, listen, it is acknowledging This one truth that Jesus has the power to save. See, religion is man's attempt to get to God. It's saying there's gotta be another way. There's gotta be another way. You can't tell me that Jesus is the only way. There's got to be another way. Let me take you to John 14, six. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way. Religion, all religion does is it creates hoops for you and I to jump through, to try to receive salvation based off of your own merit, how good you are. But listen, hate to break it to you, even on your best days, (laughs) it's still not good enough to save you. You might have a solid day where everything's going right, you don't have one impure thought, and you're like, man, I'm doing pretty good, and then the next day hits, and bam, impure thought. You look at this, you go there, you hang out with that friend. See, Jesus is offer, he's offering salvation to us based off of what he's done. Because if it was based off of what I've done, it wouldn't get very far. Neither would you. See, Isaiah 64, verse six, it says, we are unfit to worship you. Each of our good deeds is merely a filthy rag. When Isaiah wrote this, he was not sugarcoating anything. He, he, he meant what he said and he said what he meant. He said, listen, you, even your best days are like soiled garments. But yet on the worst day of human history, It became one of the best days for humanity because Jesus was crucified for you and I. And Jesus paid the ultimate price. And listen to this. The only way to receive salvation is through Jesus. To be saved from your sins, to be assured that you're gonna go to heaven when you die. It's only Jesus. Acts 4.12, it says salvation exists in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Jesus only. Point number two, Jesus stirs the hearts and mind of people. Now, throughout Jesus' ministry, he never made this huge public demonstration of himself. You would see Jesus going off by himself or escaping crowds, but Jesus gets to this point and he makes his first public, on-purpose demonstration because the hour of the cross was approaching. See, religion puts everything but Jesus as king. Religion puts man as king. Religion puts doctrine as king. Religion puts works as king. As long as Jesus isn't king and we can have control, we'll be fine. That's what religion is. Religion is saying, listen, Jesus can't have control. Uh, We need to figure out how we can have control. But regardless of where Jesus is in a religion, whether they believe in him as a prophet, as a Messiah, as a good man, wherever they put Jesus, it doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, Jesus is king of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus' position isn't dependent on what a religion says about him. Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. No questions asked. Now, if you look at uh, Greek again, we get our English word seismic, right, from the Greek word stirred. Now, what comes to mind when you think of seismic? Earthquakes, right? Jesus's entry was causing earthquakes, and as you can imagine, with two million people there to celebrate Passover, they see Jesus riding in on a donkey. Some of the people there absolutely hated Jesus. They wanted Jesus dead. They they were out to crucify him, obviously. Uh, We see that. But Jesus wasn't so much causing earthquakes materially as much as he was mentally. He wanted the people to see who he was and what he came to accomplish. Uh, That's why Jesus rode in to Jerusalem. And in it, he's causing people's minds to stir. Now, as we look at Jesus' triumphant entry in closing, I wanna point out three things. About jesus and what we see in jesus. And the first thing is he is courageous Jesus is courageous. Jesus made his entry into a very hostile environment He knew people were going to be there that hated him The crowds were enthusiastic about him, but ultimately some of them were just fans They, they were fickle followers of jesus uh, When jesus was crucified, they were scattered not scattered to go and proclaim the gospel. Some of them were afraid that that would happen to them. They, they were not consistent in their uh, following of Jesus. There were some that wanted him dead. And then any man, in this case, would lean towards discretion towards the situation. If you knew you were going into a city and there were people there who ultimately wanted to kill you, would you go in there? But Jesus does. Jesus does. Because he's courageous Jesus's courage was put on display William Barclay says this all through his last days there is in his every action a kind of magnificent and sublime defiance and here he begins the last act with a flinging down of the gauntlet and a deliberate challenge to the authorities to their worst Jesus is courageous Jesus was not one bit afraid of the authorities and what they would do to him. Jesus is the definition of Psalm 118 verse 6. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear what can man do to me. Jesus wasn't afraid. And when you allow God in your corner, so to speak, what man can do to you is limited compared to what God can do who stands in front of you. The second thing is his claim if Jesus was content with being called a prophet right because at the in verse 11 of uh, 10 and 11 the question is who is this and their answer is this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee Galilee if Jesus was content with being a prophet he would not have needed to die for the sins of the world But Jesus was more than a prophet. He is the son of God and is the savior of the world. He is the Messiah, the one that was promised throughout the Old Testament. See, Jesus was satisfied with nothing less than being in the top place, not because of his ego or he has this uh, pride about him. Jesus knew his position. He knew that he was the son of God the savior of the world. And with Jesus, we see it was all or nothing. So for us this morning, we have to acknowledge him as king or not receive him at all. There's no middle grounds. You cannot be lukewarm. It's either king or not. But at the end of the day, your decision does not affect his position. He is still king of kings and lord of lords. Lastly, his appeal See, Jesus did not claim the kingship of the throne, uh, of the physical throne. See, the, the kingship of the throne was material because guess what happened to the, the kings of Israel? They died. Guess what happened to presidents of the United States? They die or, or get impeached or on and on and on. But what happens to Jesus? Jesus remains alive today, tomorrow, and forevermore. See, the throne that Jesus wants to sit on is the throne of our hearts. That's why he rode into Jerusalem, was not to try to snuff out the guy who was in the highest position. Jesus was ultimately higher than him anyways. See, Jesus came on a donkey, which was a sign that he came in peace. See, if it was a horse, like I mentioned, it would have meant war. But Jesus claimed he was king, and since Jesus claimed he was king, he was claiming that he is the king of peace. Jesus came to show that he wasn't here to destroy, destroy, but to love. He wasn't here to, to, to condemn, but he was here to help. Jesus came not in the might of arms, but in the strength of love. See, Jesus came into Jerusalem offering peace, and listen to this, he still does today. And maybe you're in a season right now where there's just a lack of peace, and and Jesus has been riding into your Jerusalem, so to speak, and he has been offering peace, but like these fickle fans, you haven't received it because you haven't received him as king. And I can tell you this, as you receive Jesus as king, you will receive the peace that he has to offer. See, when you rest in him, you'll know his peace and it is a lasting peace. It is a peace, the Bible says, that surpasses all understanding. So if you're a believer this morning and you've forgotten this truth, you've forgotten the truth that Jesus stands to give you peace. Remember that he is the God of peace. And since he is the God of peace, he wants to give you peace. And if you aren't a believer this morning, or maybe you're watching online and, and you're longing for that peace, or maybe you'll watch this or listen to this down the road, and you're longing for a peace, you've chased after all these different things. You've chased after relationships, finances, social media. You've chased after whatever is the latest trend And you keep coming up short. See, Jesus died on the cross for your sins so you wouldn't have to come up short anymore because Jesus offers that ultimate peace. Not only that, Jesus died on the cross for your sins so you could be forgiven, restored, and yes, find peace in him. Why? Because he loved you at your worst even while we were still sinners, scripture says, Christ died for you. And maybe you need that peace. All you have to do this morning is call out to him. Call out to him and he will give you that peace. He's not gonna hold it back. I wanna close with this verse. It's actually my life verse. Isaiah 26, verse three. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Do you trust in Jesus this morning? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for offering us your peace. God, we all have things going on in our lives that cause us to wonder if we'll ever have peace. God, we know that you are the God of peace and when we acknowledge you as king, as Lord, we will receive that peace. And the wondering can stop because we know that our peace is found in you. God, I pray for these that are in here and those that are watching online. God, you know all that they're struggling with. You know what they're facing in the season. Lord, I pray that you would just draw near to them. Lord, I have no specifics on how to pray for each and every individual in here, but God, you already know where they are and what they're dealing with, God. And I pray that you would just remind them that you are near. God, in the midst of their struggle, in the midst of their chaos, confusion, in the midst of their uh, family that is causing drama, whatever it might be, God, I pray that you would just remind them that you see and you know and you're near. So Lord, help us to recognize you as the God of all peace. Jesus, thank you for such an epic public demonstration of that peace into Jerusalem. Help us to remember and know that all we need is found in you. Jesus, we love you and we praise you and it's in your great and mighty name. Amen.